1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. I love it when uh, President Trump says, not everyone, but uh, to make omelets, one needs to break a a few eggs. As my late friend Lee Atwater used to say, show me a person in politics who everybody loves, and I'll show you a loser who's never won an election. Uh, This past week, uh, my wife and I had the high uh, privilege Of attending the premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's epic new documentary uh, Police State uh, which was shown uh, at President uh, Donald Trump's palatial mansion uh, in Palm Beach Florida which folks I assure you is worth far more than the 18 million dollars claimed by a Manhattan New York judge it was an all-star evening for a powerful film. Uh, I hope you had an opportunity to hear our uh, interview with Dinesh D'Souza last Sunday, uh, where he laid this out for us. But uh, among those uh, who were most compelling and impressive in this documentary, Police State, which I commend to you, was Kyle Seraphim. Kyle seraphim is a former FBI agent, now an FBI whistleblower, uh, a constitutionalist, uh, a civil liberties enthusiast, a Second Amendment defender uh, who well understands that Sundays are for God and family. Uh, and he is also the host of the Kyle Seraphin Show on Rumble. Kyle Seraphin, thank you for joining us on The Roger Stone Show.
2: It is my pleasure, Roger. Good to talk to you.
1: So uh, there's a lot to talk about today. But for those who are unfamiliar with your background, why don't we start there? Uh, When did you join the FBI? Why did you join the FBI? And what were the circumstances of your leaving the FBI?
2: Okay, fair enough. So uh, the, the quick and dirty version of this is I joined the FBI in the summer of 2016. That's when I attended Quantico. Um, anyone who's ever applied for the FBI or has ever tried to go through some of these longer federal hiring processes will know it takes 18 months, two years uh, to get yourself on board. And my route of entry was as a veteran. Uh, I was a veteran of the United States Air Force, which I started serving when I was 27 years old. So my story actually goes back a little ways. Uh, I started off uh, working in radio as a, as an airtime salesperson. I worked in ergonomic furniture. I was one of these guys that was trying to get my feet under me at a, uh, at a younger age and didn't quite get there. And uh, by the time I was 27, I realized I wasn't creating or destroying anything. I wasn't doing what I felt like uh, God's purpose was for me on Earth. And so I enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. I wanted to see what it felt like, even though I had a college degree. I wanted to know what it was to to be an enlisted guy. And I did that for just shy of four years. I was let out of my contract a little bit early, applied for federal employment, ended up at the FBI, and worked two years of counterintelligence, uh, three years of a specialty surveillance unit, which was actually not considered a very prestigious job, but uh, something that I felt was the original kind of the OG work that the FBI does, which is to say, go see bad guys where they are, watch what they're up to. And I got a good look at the counterterrorism program. I got more looks at counterintelligence and more looks at some of the criminal work. And then in an effort to get out of D.C. and get away from the uh, sort of the politics that exist, I I took a job in New Mexico, and uh, I did the exact opposite of what everyone thought would happen. I started working for an Indian reservation. I was doing uh, investigations out there of really sort of like local crimes as a sort of major crimes detective. And at that moment, I got an email uh, handed from one of the supervisors in my office that indicated the FBI was going to be investigating parents at school board meetings, which many people are now familiar with. I brought that to Congress in October of 2021. And between that and my refusal to get the shot, the COVID vaccine shot, it was sort of a death knell for my Bureau career, uh, but it did lead to an interesting opportunity of many people approaching me and saying, here's some additional things that we see that are wrong in the FBI. And since you're already burned and you're already a public figure at this point, uh, maybe you can help expose them. So I've done that. We've, between me and Stephen Friend and a guy named Garrett O'Boyle, many people saw them testify in front of Congress. You'll see that there's probably, I think, upwards of a dozen instances of FBI malfeasance that we've been able to publicly expose. Uh, with a strange sort of new life that uh, I think God has me uh, living at this point.
1: Well, now you made what you believe to be a protected disclosure uh, to a freshman member of Congress from Albuquerque, citing 5 U.S.C. 7211. That statute reads: the right of employees individually or collectively to petition members of Congress or Congress, uh, or to furnish information to either House or Congress or to a committee may not be uh, interfered with or denied. Uh, And as you mentioned, you uh, were uh, refused to take the mandatory COVID-19 shot. Uh, I can uh, imagine how that tied the agency uh, into knots. What were the immediate reactions within the FBI uh, and the Department of Justice uh, when you uh, took these actions?
2: Uh, they're pretty predictable. The first thing that happened is by November of 2021, I was removed from the office and told that I couldn't come back in. And I'll give, uh, your audience just a little bit more perspective. I've been a licensed paramedic in multiple states, and I, at the time, and I think still, I'm a licensed paramedic according to the quote unquote state of the FBI, which is this sort of fantasy realm. But I've been a nationally registered paramedic for over a decade. And one of the things that I did during my uh, post-military and pre-FBI careers, I worked in a hospital. Uh, I spent thousands of hours in a clinical setting, and I also spent thousands of hours working on an ambulance doing transportation. So I've done a lot of flu swabs, and I've done a lot of tests for various different sort of symptoms. And so the FBI gave us a secondary option. They said, you don't, if you don't take the, the, uh, the vaccine shot, We're going to give you another way to bend the knee. You must test for COVID, even though you have no symptoms, every 72 hours. And for me, this was a a direct highlight. First of all, all the people that I knew that had refused to take the shot were all pro-life Christians. Uh, And so they basically were saying every Christian that wants to stand up for this particular stance must identify themselves to all of their employee uh, colleagues by going and taking a shot. It was allowed to be done on, on company time. But there's really no precedent for doing that sort of a thing. And there's also really no prophylactic protocol for flu or any other disease that I'm aware of. And I've done, like I said, thousands of of nasal swabs. It was really a strange opportunity. So I said, no, thank you to that. And uh, that's what actually got me removed without pay from my job for all of November, end of November, rather, December, January, February, and the beginning of March. And it was so obvious to those of us working there that it was an arbitrary sort of rule because it was changed simply because Joe Biden was giving the State of the Union address in the early week, the first week of March in 2022. And when that happened, they basically withdrew all of the requirements to test and mask and everything that was going to be specially strange for those of us that had not gotten those shots, even if we'd already recovered from COVID like I had. And so that was kind of a sad thing to see. But it did sort of point out the hypocrisy and the, the moving goalposts that many of us experienced in the last couple of years. And I think it's awakened a lot of people to some of the major problems of just blind obedience to the federal government
1: uh, what was the immediate uh, impact on your family uh, of your termination for those many months right up to today
2: uh that's a good question it it resulted uh, predictably in a loss of income that was the the immediate thing so my wife and i had to make some difficult decisions in september of 22 i sold my home and uh, many people don't know this, even if they follow me publicly, but I left the closing table selling my house in New Mexico, which was a beautiful place, by the way. It was on two acres. We had a, a mountain view. Um, it was a very inexpensive place in the world where we could have a, a just a really nice place to live. We had wonderful neighbors that were friends with my kids. And we left the closing table. My wife drove our minivan to Arizona, where we ended up staying with my parents. And we stayed in two of the three bedrooms that they have in their small home in Arizona. I drove directly south to El Paso, got on a plane and flew and did an interview, my first public interview, with Dan Bongino, which basically blew up my life into a totally different path and and kind of moved me into a a route that I had not previously expected. But we effectively were without a home, at least not a home of our own, and we were sort of freeloading on on my parents, who are in their 60s and 70s. Um, My dad being in his (laughs) mid-70s, I had to go and, you know, as a 40-year-old man with three children, Moved back home, which was not a thing that I ever anticipated doing and definitely was a kind of a bitter pill of humility because we had no income to to speak of for over a year.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person.
2: Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.
1: So, uh, Cash Patel, uh, who I think is a great American hero, and by the way, whose testimony in this Colorado trial I spoke of earlier in the show, where they are attempting to remove Donald Trump for the ballot in Colorado based on a claim that he engaged in insurrection, but... Kash Patel actually provided testimony and written proof that President Donald Trump offered the D.C. government, the Capitol Hill Police, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, 10,000 National Guard troops to uh, maintain order at the Capitol, uh, and that request was denied, proving yet again that Trump was not involved in an effort Towards insurrection. If anything, he had an interest in maintaining order at the Capitol. In any event, Cash Patel uh, has an active foundation uh, in which he has raised money uh, to support FBI whistleblowers. I've had uh, Stephen Friend and Garrett O'Boyle both on my show, interviewed both of them, saw them both uh, last week at Mar-Lago. Uh, Congressman Dan Goldman of Manhattan. Actually, claims uh, that FBI whistleblowers were bribed by Cash Patel for their testimony. Can you address that?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Mr. Goldman has a an interesting perspective. It's sort of revisionist type history. All your audience has to do is weigh the following: uh, you had two men, uh, and I was uh, given a a, a small uh, sort of bridge. Uh, grant is what the cash foundation calls it, but, but you just have to decide. Did these men blow up their careers? Did they give up 120, 130? These, you know, the federal job tops at $170,000 a year. So do they blow up these 20 year careers for a one time or a couple time, you know, $5,000 payment from a charitable foundation because they were without pay? And it, it's, it's immediately uh, ridiculous on its face. But it is a talking point that they've kind of marched out there. I agree with you, Cash Patel is a wonderful person. He's he's one of the most down to earth and humble but yet still intelligent and aggressive individuals. Uh we we deal with him all the time. He was actually the guy that we pulled up uh, when we got to Marilago last week and uh it, his car was right behind ours and he just said, Hey, what's up guys? Like, all right, you're with me, we're gonna go on a tour and we went and kind of just toured around <laughs> Marilago, which I also agree with you, is certainly valued. Probably the landscaping is worth eighteen million dollars, just the size of the grounds. Uh, alone forget the buildings on it but uh he's a wonderful person it's an absurd claim he's somebody that saw a problem and when he reached out to me the first time he said um he said i'd like to help you i heard your family's in kind of a rough way and i said well you know there's certainly more more deserving parties than me i think my family's not going to go without a meal and he said well regardless i have money i'd like to give it to you and uh can i do that and i said sure how can i help you out he said i don't need anything from you i'm not going to ask anything from you you know if you want to get loud and come on a podcast or you want to do an interview at some point, that's another conversation that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. This is simply your family has done the right thing and are suffering because of it. We know how expensive that is, and I want to help you out. That's the fight with cash Foundation uh, and that's Cash Patel for you. He's a guy that asked nothing. he's never asked me for anything and uh, and I would volunteer a number of you know um help in any way that I could and i would and I've you know. I share his post on social media as best I can, which has minimal value, I think. End of the day, he's a guy that wants to do the right thing. And uh, as you said, he's a great ally to have. And I know he's very loyal to President Trump. And it, it makes me respect President Trump more, honestly, the type of people that are around him. They, they're an indicator. Uh, you know, the company you keep is really an indicator of the, uh, the type of person you are. And if you got the loyalty of a guy like Cash Patel, it says a lot about you, I think.
1: Uh, Cash Patel, for those who don't know, was the acting director of the Department of Defense, a former member of the national security staff uh, in the Trump White House, uh, a former federal uh, prosecutor, uh, a man of enormous uh, integrity. Uh, His book, Government Gangsters, uh, was held up for some time because when you leave government and you write a book, uh, it requires government approval before you can publish it. Uh, Cash Patel had to actually go to court uh, to get an order allowing him to publish that book. Go to governmentgangsters.com and check it out. Now, uh, Kyle, you have said that you saw uh, the infamous memo from Attorney General Merrick Garland directing the FBI to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal judicial district to facilitate discussions of strategies for addressing threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff, uh, and to open dedicated lines of communication uh, for threat reporting, assessment, and a response. This appears to be in reaction to uh, the simple and perfectly legal activities of parents of school children showing up at school boards and expressing a concern about the curriculum uh, that their children were being uh, taught. Uh, What was the reaction uh, of the Bureau uh, when you came forward with this shocking information?
2: Well, I want to be really specific because the Whistleblower Protection Act, which is uh, – you mentioned the, the right of – employees to go to Congress, the Whistleblower Protection Act for the FBI is 5 U.S.C. 2303. And it states that any uh, th- that an FBI employee can come forward with any evidence they believe is a violation of law, rule, or regulation, which is exactly what I cited. Now, I heard all the things that you just said, and I knew all those things at the time, back in October of 2021. What I also heard was Attorney General Merrick Garland step out in front of Congress and, under oath, testify that they would not be using Patriot Act tools or counterterrorism resources more broadly, to investigate parents at school board meetings as requested by this National School Board Association, this lobbying group on behalf of school boards around the country. So when I saw an email, and the email that I brought forward was specifically an email that was written by Carlson Peoples, and he was an assistant director of counterterrorism. And so you can just look at the email. You know where it's coming from. It's coming from what we call CTD, or the Counterterrorism Division. The top person there, Carlton Peoples, the assistant director, saying that the FBI was going to institute a threat tag, which is meant to tag investigations or small parts of investigations, and they were looking to tag information and intelligence about parents at school board meetings. That is expressly uh, the opposite of what the attorney general said. So it was my belief that he was committing perjury, Uh, or he had no idea what the FBI was doing, which seems very unlikely, that he had no idea. And so he's either incompetent, um, or he's, you know, engaging in perjury, both of which were a big problem. So that's what I actually brought forward. Uh, Once you do that, the FBI went on kind of a a witch hunt to figure out who had done it, or a mole hunt, I guess. They determined that uh, I was one of the two people that had brought that forward. I'm not sure if they've ever gotten rid of the other person. That's not someone that I knew. So luckily, in an agency of Uh, 36, 37, 38,000 employees, two people saw a problem with this particular email. Uh, And and granted, not everybody had access to see it. So that's, you know, there was this opportunity. Uh, Like I say, I think God puts us in places where where we are able to act uh, in the way that we are meant to. But uh, I got an email from one of the uh, the attorneys working at the FBI saying, you know, they've identified you as someone who won't take the COVID shot and as a whistleblower, and uh, they asked me what I should do about you. And I told them to promote you, but I think they'll probably get rid of you. And of course, they ended up getting rid of me uh, not long afterwards. It was it was a couple of weeks, three four weeks before I was I was put out of the bricks with no paycheck. So it, it's fairly, fairly quick. Uh,
1: so when I was growing up, uh, the FBI was universally respected as the leading law enforcement agency in the country. Uh, Longtime FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover uh, certainly knew how to navigate uh, the Washington swamp, and although he was famous for his files, in which he allegedly had dirt on every single politician of both parties, he generally used that information to keep the FBI well-funded and expanded, But I would note that in all cases, when he was asked by presidents, including Presidents John Kennedy, President Lyndon Johnson, President Richard Nixon, to conduct uh, a wiretap, uh, he, in every case, required a letter of authorization from the U.S. Attorney General. That would be consistent with law. Uh, Many times, those requests for wiretaps uh, evaporated when Hoover asked for uh, a written record of what he, I think, viewed as the political use uh, of the FBI uh, by various presidents. Today, the FBI uh, is uh, under uh, public attack uh, on a number of fronts, uh, specifically not only the matters that you have brought to conclusion today, uh, to the table today, uh, regarding the efforts to spy on and target parents who go to school board members, uh, but this idea that these people are violent domestic terrorists uh, uh, this is nothing worse than shocking. Uh, what do you think the evolution of the FBI has been when did this when did this begin, and where are we headed?
2: Well, you mentioned police state earlier on, and that tells the story maybe post 9 11 on how the FBI has become a weaponized part of government and has been basically following the funding trail of terrorism dollars from the U.S. government, uh, from the legislative branch has authorized them to do any number of things. And it started off going after people that the, uh, that we would see sort of lionized by the political left, people, Muslims that were being abused, I think, in many ways that they had, um, illicit contact with them. They were moving sources into places that should otherwise be off limits, like uh, mosques and so on. And then uh, they, they kind of progressed to this thing that's known as HVEs or homegrown violent extremists, which is people in the United States legally or that are from the United States, first and second generation, but they have sympathies that lie with terrorist organizations overseas. So imagine a person born in Minneapolis that sympathizes with ISIS. That would be sort of a good example of an HVE. And that led the Bureau to go after what we are now calling DVEs, or domestic violent extremists. And this is going to be everything from so-called white supremacists, which there are some, but many of them are actually protected. They're they're actually allowed to have that awful ideology. That's sort of the brilliance of the First Amendment. Um, and then there are people now that we've moved on into this sort of uh, anti-government, anti-authority realm, which is sort of how the the, the Parents At school board meetings would fall in But I think all this stuff actually goes back much further And perhaps we need to make a prequel to the movie Police State Because the police state probably started From the beginning of the FBI You you mentioned that the the director Hoover was able to keep them Out of the politics of the day And away from sort of the the Attempted hijacking by Individuals that were in the White House But in many ways, uh, they were just doing the bidding of what Hoover thought was appropriate, and sometimes this was also unconstitutional. You can go all the way back to 1917, 1919, uh, before it was even known as the FBI. It was called the Bureau of Investigation, and they had uh, the Palmer Raids. And you can go into the 40s and 50s, and there were things that were happening under McCarthy with the Red Scare, and they were going after communists. Uh, Similar to that sort of thing. So this has been going on. They attack members of the civil rights community. Uh, Famously, there was a letter that was written by a member of the FBI attempting to get Martin Luther King Jr. to commit suicide. And so I think the interesting story that is that is maybe more broad and maybe more scary Uh, If conservatives are willing to hear it, is that there have always been abuses, but they've sort of fallen on an area where 80% of Americans that love America would kind of go, yeah, but these people aren't really great. And so we're sort of okay with this misuse. Um, I think law enforcement in general maybe has some of these sins going back a long, long ways. And so we're now sort of seeing that political conservatives are now on the receiving end of something that has been, at least in the shadows for a very long time and now we all have a chance to experience it and so it shouldn't actually be a partisan debate i wish it wasn't it's not a partisan thing for me i'm actually a political independent when it comes down to my party affiliation i would love for us to be able to say this is a danger to liberty and liberty is something that we should all be able to agree on is important whether you're political left or right so it's it's actually a much older story and it's a much scarier story when you start digging into it and my friends who we sort of call ourselves the Suspendables. You've mentioned Stephen Friend and Garrett O'Boyle. Uh, there's a couple of others. We all kind of see this as a problem, and it's always kind of been there lurking. It's just not been so prevalent, and it hasn't been so brazen, I think. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's the saddest and maybe the scariest part of all this. Uh,
1: all right. Well, I certainly did not mean to imply that Hoover was any kind of angel. Uh, Kyle Seraphim, <laughs> we are out of time. I want to thank uh, Kyle Seraphim. Make sure you see his podcast on Rumble Kyle Seraphim, American hero, FBI whistleblower. Thank you for joining us on The Roger Stone Show.
2: Definitely my pleasure. Thank you so much.